Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahay. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from uh, around the world and I get to speak to leaders at the top end of their business, people who understand the trials and tribulations of leadership and also the importance of uh, really connecting to their people to be the most effective leaders that they can be. And today uh, I am joined by a serving police officer. I'm always excited when I'm speaking to police officers. Detective Chief Inspector Anila Khalil Khan uh, serves with South Yorkshire Police. Uh, she's a commander in uh, Rotherham, which is a city in South Yorkshire in England. Uh, for those of you outside of uh, the UK, uh, Anila, welcome to the podcast. It's really refreshing to speak into a, a serving member of the police service. Thank you. And afternoon, everyone. Yes, it's really, really good to do something incredible like this and uh, share my experiences. It's really good to have a conversation with you. You, you came uh, on my radar, so to speak, um, just a few days ago, really. I saw a, a really good post. Uh, you have done some really good work around Black History Month. And we're, we're just coming to the end of Black History Month now. Uh, and you've done some work in your organisation around the celebrations for Black History Month. Do you want to just tell us a bit about that and how that came to fruition? I've been obviously with South Yorkshire Police for 19 years. And um, a couple of years ago, just as COVID was breaking, I um, set up and sort of chaired and managed a police staff association called Race Inclusion Equity. Um, I chose this name particularly because um, it was previously known as the Black Police Officers Association. However, obviously I'm not black, I'm Asian, um, and I wanted to have a really wider network and inclusion for everyone really. So a group of us got together um, and sort of thrashed some ideas out and, and said, what about this as a name? And it's really an association open to staff members, police staff, volunteers, cadets, um, of a, a BAME background, black ethnic, uh, minority background, and really anyone. Um, so we started off a couple of years ago, obviously with, with COVID, there was a bit of a, a, a little delay, uh, but yeah, we've been up and running for two years now and it's going from strength to strength. And um, obviously I wanted to celebrate the Black History Month. So the chair, which is a lady called Pam, um, her and I and a group of others organised this event and it, it was a fantastic event um, down at uh, one of the stations or event held uh, venues at South Yorkshire. We had members of the public, the council, all members of all the different um, districts or uh, boroughs in South Yorkshire. That's fantastic. And it was a really, really good event, about 100 people there. Um, but yeah, just to celebrate the event, we wanted it to be a celebration of Black History Month and sharing that knowledge and experience that people have had through the Windrush experience and, and what they're going through now. And obviously linking it in with the Race Action Plan, which is quite um, 
occurring at the moment within the police force so it all tied in really well uh, but yeah it was something that we were really excited about and, and hosting really that's fantastic i mean i i remember the black police association uh, i was a founder member of the bpa back in derbyshire you know in the mid 90s uh, and also uh, helped a lot of organizations police organizations up and down the the, the country to set up their own bpas and um, i remember at the time we had this huge debate, uh, much the same as you probably have had yourself, as to the, the correct name. And we came up with the, the term Black Police Association because it was about the experience. But I, I, the subtle change that you've made is, is you're, you're, you're calling it the race inclusion. And that's about uh, bring, welcoming in people from all sorts of uh, backgrounds and heritages and, uh, and, and groupings that they can come in towards a common aim, I guess, around inclusion. Is that right? That's exactly it, Kel. You know, we wanted it to not have a name for a, a specific group or, or members. It was for everyone, really. And, and that's why, you know, we came up with this, um, the name RIE, or Race Inclusion Equity, because it's open for everyone. Yeah. Whatever your background, whatever colour, religion, whatever, it's somewhere for someone to come and have a conversation with, with people of like-minded people and share their experience and, and equally support each other. And that's why we didn't go with the name Black Police Officer Association because for me that's quite of a, a narrow um, field really but this is just for everyone and anyone. And I think you're right, I think with, with the, the, the term of BPA uh, many of our white colleagues uh, often used to say well isn't that device, divisive in itself and in hindsight perhaps it was uh, and perhaps now is a time to make it much more inclusive uh, and, and and headlines and uh, titles are so important in all of that. Do you think that the, the police service has moved on then from those days? I mean, you've got like 19 years service uh, behind you. So you'll sort of remember the tail end of the kind of experiences that we were going through. So I'm guessing you joined around about, what, 2001, 2002, something like that? Yeah, so I joined in 2003 straight after university. And uh, on my intake, we had a, what we classed then as a double intake so it was uh, 40 people and I was the only um, Asian minority um, and, right. and obviously of a female background um, so yeah it wasn't a, a diverse um, police force that then South Yorkshire is a smaller force compared to the others but still large enough to be diverse oh absolutely I mean it's, a, it's one of the bigger forces yeah absolutely back then there wasn't much diversity there were obviously a handful of people from a from a BAME background black and ethnic background um, and not many women um, back then um, but yeah so in the past 19 years it's grown incredibly um, we are diverse now we have got a, a very multicultural police are not as much as I'd like it to be. I think it's like an ongoing journey, isn't it, Anila? I mean, you're describing what it was like when, when you joined, um, when I joined back in January 1983. You can you can imagine I was like a brown speck in a sea of white. That's, that's the term I always use uh, with this. But um, even to hear that when you came into the organisation, you're one of 40 people there, and you were the only female and you're the only person of colour, is that right? So I wasn't the only female, I was the only female of colour um, in, in my intake. Yeah. There was quite a few, uh, quite a lot of women actually. Um, and, and we have really progressed with increasing the uh, makeup of women and especially females of senior officer rank. Uh, we have got, I would say, 
nearly as 50-50 of a senior officer rank for of a female um, gender, which is fantastic uh, compared to again what I, what it was like when I first joined. Yeah, it's great. But, you know, very rarely we saw women higher than inspector. Now we have seen quite a few, and obviously we've got a female chief constable who's absolutely fantastic and she's really driving this. And, and even before she she take, uh, took the post, we did have a good female representation at, at senior ranks. Yeah. My sort of drive is to get more Asian, black, minority officers of senior ranks. Um, and that's what my sort of passion and drive is, especially within South Yorkshire and, and hopefully wider than that. Within what you're talking about now, I recognise that passion that you've got because it's exactly the passion that I had when, you know, I was setting up the Black Police Association uh, because I wanted to create, I love the police service and I wanted the police service to be truly represented, but a very, very inclusive organisation, very inclusive service where we recognise the talents that each individual brought to the table. So, I mean, inclusion is right there in the title of what it is that you're trying to uh, trying to achieve what does inclusion look like for you then inclusion for me is it's really sort of resonates with me it's got to be open to everyone anyone and everyone support each other and Mm. that's really sort of mirrors my sort of leadership style and the way I communicate and engage with my colleagues and my teams at work it's all about being present including everyone regardless of what that background is regardless what issues or problems or anything like that is is actually supporting each other and creating that trusting and confidence within the police force because if we haven't got that within the police force how on earth can we have that with our communities which is what we're here to serve so for me it's creating that inclusion within work within your teams and that will resonate wider than that and hopefully to our communities Um, and that really for me inclusion is get everyone on the same table get everyone around the table have those conversations open and honest conversations whether they're easy or difficult they're not never all going to be easy and just listen, listen and build that trust and, and hopefully that can go wider than that. I think there's something in something in what you've just said there that um, that is the reason why so many organisations don't really push to be that inclusive and that's that element of courage. Because in order for us to be that level of inclusive, we have to have, we have to be prepared to go through the discomfort, don't we, of having those difficult conversations um, and I remember I did some work actually for Sheffield Hallam University uh, where we had a project where we said, let's get comfortable talking about race. And it was around about two, uh, 2020 uh, and, and, and further on where we openly had these really, really difficult conversations, really challenging conversations around race. But because we were having those conversations, it just made it more healthy. So as part of your drive towards inclusion, it is knowing that, you know, South Yorkshire police will have to have those uncomfortable, difficult conversations because it's only when you do that can you get to the other side. Yeah, and, and completely true that we have to. So the way I see it or the way I explain it, no one can see the world from my lens. I can't see it from your lens. Everyone has that different outlook. And until you have those conversations, until you put yourself in those difficult positions to understand we can't change anything and it's only recently through the um, association that we've um, created and through the off the back of the race action plan the um, detective uh, sorry the deputy chief constable of south yorkshire held a community event with our local uh, black community and yeah it was difficult conversations um but he answered them and he was there supporting them and he wants to listen and that's what our south yorkshire police are doing we're having 
putting ourselves in those positions to understand and like I say no questions a daft question ask anything because you want to understand and that for me if anyone's approaching me and having those difficult conversations and actually trying to understand where I come from or, or what my colleagues are coming from they're doing the right thing they want to create that environment and I think that's all credit to them yeah absolutely no I think you're doing some great work from how you're describing it and and, and the passion seems to be there you know across the board uh, and uh, the fact that you have all recognized that we have to go through the, this feeling of being really uncomfortable really challenged is important for us to get to the other side and start to raise our awareness and only then can we do something about it right if you're not going to put yourself in that position it's anything no one knows everything but people can learn and understand and that's what the, the drive is and i think that's that's a great way correct way of doing it the other thing anila is that um, we can this is what we do as an organization we have to collectively move forward we have to go through that you know uncomfortable sort of period and you know we have to go through it's a bit like you wanted to get to the other side of a, a horrible swamp you have to go through the swamp and go through the pain of uh, walking through that swamp to get to the other side but also as individuals as leaders within our own right as individual leaders we have a responsibility to work through discomfort ourselves to create the kind of inclusive environment that you're talking about. So what, if you had to nail your, your, your leadership style down, what, how would you describe your leadership style? How do you get the best out of your people? It's very difficult and each situation and what you're dealing with is different. So you've got to A, rely on your personal and past experiences. But the way I lead is... Uh, and, and I'm not promoting drugs, but it's the LSD um, mnemonic that I use. It's, <laughs> it's, it's listening, supporting and directing. You've got to absolutely listen to your team, your peers, your, your managers to understand. Because if you don't listen, you're not going to get that knowledge. You're not going to understand what they're going through. They need a voice. And for me, by listening, you're building that trust with them, which is so important. Yeah, trust is like the foundation, isn't it? Yeah, if you haven't got trust, then, you know, your leadership's already on a day. Yeah, it's already on a downward spiral. So that's that's the L, so that is listening and, and supporting. You've got to support your colleagues. You've got to support each other and, you know, push people, encourage people, because if I'm not encouraging and supporting people, I'm not going to have a legacy. I'm not leaving a legacy behind. I'm not bringing people with mm. me and giving that support. But but that equally is support for myself as well. So I don't know everything. I'm never going to know everything, but I can learn and understand and become that mentor, that coach that I want to be. So it's supporting myself as well as my colleagues and, and direction. Direction is so, so important. And obviously being within the police force, you've got to be quite authoritative. You've got to say, right, we're doing this, depending on what, what incident you're dealing with. But actually you direct them because some people might not know what they're doing. You know, supporting as well as directing is is giving that level balance of, yes, I am a leader. Yes, I'm here to listen and support you. But actually, at some point, I will have to direct you, but isn't having that open conversation. So that's how I drive. And most important out of it all is listening and understanding and trying to be sympathetic and empathetic with my team and my colleagues and, you know, putting them on my relying on my past experiences really um and supporting them because obviously being in within yeah. not only as a leader but as a in the cid and detective world it's quite very similar but very different as well and both challenging um and you don't know everything but actually by having a great team around you who have the same vision and direction as you 
you're halfway there for me. So that's how I sort of lead my team. Um, and, and I'd like to continue that way. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, I, I, the the analogy that you've used, I mean, maybe we need to try and come up with something different from LSD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it goes against everything that we sort of stand for in the police service. But what you've actually described for me is like a, 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 an overview of the six leadership styles that uh, that uh, I go with when I when I talk about uh, emotional intelligence and leadership, uh, and um, I don't know, there's a really good book on this, uh, Anila, that you might be interested in, written by a chap called Daniel Goldman, who for me is like the the world authority on emotional intelligence, and it's called Primal Leadership, and he talks about six distinct leadership styles, uh, and the six leadership styles are. Democratic leadership styles, that's where, you know, you sit around a table and you say to people, hey, I don't hold the monopoly on good ideas. Has anyone got any ideas around this or thoughts around this? And that's where you're bringing in, you know, the ideology, the talents that other people might hold. There's the affiliative leadership where you put other you put your team first, where you put your people first. And there are times, you know, when I've been gold commander and silver commander uh, in the middle of the night where, you know, I've got staff guarding scenes and I have to put them first sometimes because I have to look after their welfare. So you bring in the, you know, the tea wagon or the burger wagon. Then there's the visionary leadership style. And he says, this is a leadership style that you should have switched on all the time. And you can mix and match it with any one of the others. Visionary leadership style is where you tell people what the ultimate goal is and you you trust them to go along on the journey with you. Uh, then you have the uh, coaching leadership style where you you challenge you challenge your team or your individuals within your team to think deeper and, and go deeper in, in their thinking and in 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 their work in, in the work that they do. Then you have the coercive leadership styles, uh, and the two coercive leadership styles uh, are uh, the command and control or People will call it authoritarian leadership style. That is the one that you've described there. You know, when, when things are happening around you and yeah, as a DCI, you'll know this, you know, when you're, when you're uh, an SIO for a, a murder investigation or a serious, you've got a serious crime, uh, that needs investigation and you've got the first 24 hours of, uh, uh to gather the best evidence that you can. It might be fast moving and fast changing. And so you say, you go there, you do this, you do that. And that, that is absolutely quite relevant. And then he says there's another style called the pace setting style. And that's where you lead from the front. You might go a hundred miles an hour and, and everyone else keeps up with you. So you set the pace and you motivate by that. The downside of that is if you keep going at that pace is that everyone else drops back. So all of these leadership styles, you can be fluid throughout all of these leadership styles throughout the entirety of the day, depending on what's facing you in the here and now. So I think you've managed to pull all of those together in that LSD mnemonic that you've just come up with there. Just to clarify, I'm not promoting the drug side of it. No, of course it's not. Just how I learned to it. But you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I think there's a fourth one in that LSD. There is a fourth one around challenging, you know, challenging their thinking, yeah, challenging yeah. them to go forward. So, yeah, I, I think I think the LSD model is is a really good model to go with. It's a really, really good model you could then take it to the next de degree of understanding these six leadership styles and just, you know, teaching those. I mean, I teach this wherever I go, but uh, th those re work really well. I understand those. I have read his books, actually, and, and I completely understand and I'm appreciative of all the six different styles. I like to be a bit of everything mm. because I think if you're one, you can, you're kind of losing out on the others. I think if you have a, a good blend, you've got to have that blend because... 
and depending on the situation you've got you know this fast face that you mentioned you've got to change that direction but actually don't lose the other leadership styles because it all merged into one and that really sort of pushes you and promotes you makes you look sort of stand out because you're not one or the other you're all of it and I think that's a really good combination to have yeah most definitely and I think that the idea is all of these leadership styles are tools within your toolbox and you should be able to access all of them at any given time depending on what's in front of you um we talked about trust and uh, we both agree that trust is like foundational. It's like if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. You know, you don't have communication with your team. They won't work for you to the nth degree. They might not necessarily, um, you know, take on board what you're saying and and and, and being trusted to work to the, the to the very best to, to, to achieve that bit of change that you're bringing through. How do you go about building trust within your teams? Trust is sort of really vital, but I think it sort of goes kind of hand in hand with vulnerability as well. And, you know, I'm one of those that I don't know everything and, and I'm open and honest with that. I've got a lot of experience in CID world, you know, been in CID for 17 years. I've probably dealt with most different aspects of CID, but for public order, you know, that's I'm not sort of adverse in that, but I can sort of learn it. And for me, building trust is showing my teams that, yes, I don't know everything, um, but I'm eager to learn with their support. And, you know, I, I have suffered sort of imposter syndrome. I think quite a few people, men and women, go through it at some point in their stage of their life and their career. Yeah. And I have suffered that, where I think, oh, am I good enough? Am I, do I fit in? But actually, having read a few books and sort of understood it a little bit more, for me, that brings into, um, you don't need to be an expert in everything. You don't need to be a perfectionist. You need to surround yourself by the right people. So what I do is I surround myself with the right people, have me have those open and honest conversations, show my vulnerable side. I mean, I'm not saying I sort of lay it out on the table, but actually I just show them, you know, I'm sympathetic, I've not experienced this, or we're working together, et cetera, et cetera. And that, for me, builds my trust with my teams. They have that open-door conversations, um, come and speak to me whenever you want. They know I'm approachable. I think all those little things put together build that trust. I remember when I became a DCI for the first time uh, many, many years ago, and uh, I just passed my promotion board to chief inspector. And I was a uniform inspector at the time. And I went up to see the chief, uh, as you very often do, and he's going to congratulate you and shake your hand and all of this kind of stuff. And he said to me, okay, he said, um, uh, I've got a job for you. He says, you start next Monday you are now going to be the chief inspector, detective chief inspector for the intelligence department, the what we used to call the uh, the Force Intelligence Bureau, the FIB. And he says, but you're going to be, I've, you've got a project, a very bespoke project. He says, we don't have a covert operations policy for the organisation. You have to write that. We have to create a whole new covert operations unit. It was a massive piece of work. He said, look, we've just been inspected by, uh, an external body and we've been found wanting and we've got six weeks to six months to turn it around and you're going to turn it around i remember walking into my first meeting in my brand new suit because i had to go out and buy some suits as you do obviously and, yeah. <laughs> and i remember sitting down with uh, these like grizzly detective sergeants you know they'd been around a long time and i remember looking and i felt like such a young boy and I said, look, folks, I says, a lot of you will be wondering why have I been put in here because I've, uh, I've come straight out of uniform into, into, into crime and I've now got uh, Detective Chief Inspector status in a very, very um, 
closed unit, if you like, a very specialised unit. I can promise you that I will give 110% in terms of passion, energy and support for you. But you have to accept that I don't know everything and I'm going to see you and look upon you as experts. And I think for me, you know, that vulnerability that I showed then in that conversation, that op- openness and that honesty was what really, really supported me because all of these, over the, over the next couple of months, all of these people were my biggest supporters and we did incredible things as a result uh, of that. So vulnerability is so important. You're so right. It's, it's a, a very similar experience and, you know, people, people deal with things differently. For me, I, I say as it is, you know, I, I rather have those open conversations and have, have open dialogue with my teams because that shows them I'm human after all, you know. I think yeah. that, that, that really sort of resonates with them and being vulnerable is not a bad thing. It's just being acknowledging it is the first step for me and telling my teams, yeah, I don't know. I was in a very similar situation. I, got, I promoted to DI and went into the covert police and having never done that before, exactly the same conversations probably as you had, getting that team, getting them on board and sort of showing them that I want to be there and want to learn and, and do them a good job as well as myself. Mm. And really, really, I mean, I'm still in contact with most of them now because we built that relationship and for more importantly, we built that friendship as well. And I know it's difficult being friends with your teams as a manager, but for me, that makes the team, you know, we have that when you're professional, you're professional, but when we're doing something together, we're doing it as a, as a team um, and just and just being there for them. And don't you think it's really about uh, understanding that, you know, human beings are human beings at the end of the day, mm-hmm. irrespective yeah. of where they sit in an organisation. And if you treat people as humans, they will do much, much more for you. The relationship that you have with them becomes that much more deeper uh, and consequently, you'll, you'll perform a lot better, I think. Definitely. And, and, you know, just because I've decided to go for promotion and they haven't doesn't make, make us any different. I've just gone one route and they've stayed where they are, you know. Absolutely. We're not different. It's just I've got a different sort of ambition and passion in life as they have. They're more than happy being DCs, DSs in their sort of world that they're in. But we're all on the same page. We're all in it for each other. For me, I, I like to think I haven't changed from day dot. I, I joined because I am who I am. That's my internal ethics and that's my internal vision. And, and I want to relay that into every position I'm in, regardless of promotion. Yes, obviously, promotion is uh, your senior ranking. You've got more re- uh, responsibilities. You know, you're leading a lot more people. But actually, me as a person hasn't changed. And I want my team to know that. I got approached um, a few months ago from... Um a sergeant who's uh, quite an experienced sergeant now and he sent me a private message and uh, I remember I used to be his sergeant many years ago he said look he said a thought came to my mind he said and I just wanted to share it with you he said the one thing that you once said to me when I became a sergeant uh, was that remember you've become a sergeant because of the person that you are so don't change the person that you are just because you become a sergeant you have Mm. to stay the same as an individual in terms of where you come from who you are what you stand for, your values, you have to stay the same. Uh, but too many people uh, aspire to a level, they get promoted, and suddenly they become a different person. They even start speaking differently. I don't know how and why, really, because you're changing yourself, I suppose. Obviously, as I mentioned, the higher you go, the more posi- responsibility you have, you have to change mm. yourself slightly. But don't change your internal self. Don't change who your personality don't is. Don't change your values. Don't change any of that. Just keep keep true to yourself but change for the environment change for the role that you're doing 
but not yourself and that that's what I would like to always portray and I think I have stuck by that um, to this rank and, and further. Now good on you and I and I believe that you have to you know from what you're saying I can I can sense the depth and the the the, the passion within there. So what's the future look like for Anila? Definitely I would like to go for promotion as and when it's right for me. Um you know I want I want to have more representation of um a Bain background within South Yorkshire and I want to make that vision happen for everyone. More importantly I want to leave a legacy of everyone can do it anyone can do it if i can everyone can and i really want to have that drive of getting our our police force to represent our communities and you know south yorkshire is a very diverse um area especially sheffield and i want more sort of people from a different background to to experience what policing is like and, and do it for the right reason so for me it personally is going for that drive getting that um, promotion getting that support mechanism there i'm a coach and mentor i want to really continue with that i that's one thing that i absolutely love about policing is i can pass my experiences on and i can be that shoulder to cry in or ear to bend or someone to chat to and i, I really do love that about the role that i'm in um so yeah i really want to push that and and support others as well um it's not, nothing's impossible um, and if I can do and I keep saying this to people if I can do it most people can and just leaving that legacy behind it, it, they're the quite key things for me it is a phrase that we hear an awful lot if I can do it so can you but there's so much truth in that mm. I often say to people you know people reach out to me now former colleagues uh, some of my former bosses have reached out and said how have you achieved all the things that you're do- doing and I said well you just say yes to everything mm. uh, it's as simple as that it's not that I've got any more skills than anybody else it's that I take the opportunities that come my way but I have a fundamental value and that is always to as I climb any ladder I always have one hand behind me and it was a phrase that it was a quote that somebody once told me always uh, lift as you climb and uh, and I truly believe in that and uh, I think that uh, that's the legacy that you're talking about if we do that and hold that to uh, to, to our values as leaders we can create this conveyor belt of leaders behind us that are even better than we are definitely you've got to keep, keep that chain going and that support mechanism and never forget where you've come from but always aim high as well and that's the motto that I will pass on through what a great place uh, to pause our interview thank you so much Anila it's been an absolute honour to have you on and I've enjoyed our conversation thank you you too thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content and of course connect with me on LinkedIn take care have a great day